Welcome to the Quadcast, a Yale Divinity School podcast series focusing on issues related to religion, culture, and politics. In this episode, Emily Judd interviews Yale Divinity School alum Michael O'Loughlin, national correspondent at America Magazine and author of the book Hidden Mercy, AIDS, Catholics, and the Untold Stories of Compassion in the Face of Fear. O'Loughlin discusses forgotten moments in LGBTQ history that he discovered when writing the book. I was really surprised at how involved priests and sisters and lay people, the LGBT Catholic community, were in the national response to HIV and AIDS. He discusses being gay and being Catholic, and the advice that convinced him to stay a member of the Catholic Church despite its institutional approach to the LGBTQ community. Any faith tradition you belong to will have its own challenges. So don't give up on yours just because it's a little challenging right now. And he also weighs in on how Pope Francis and the Vatican have made progress in the fields of media and technology. They're really making strides in trying to get the Pope's message out there. As a correspondent for America Magazine, you regularly write about the Catholic Church and much of the news coverage about the church in, the, uh, in America this year has focused on the Catholic responses to the overturning of Roe versus Wade and debates around restrictions on receiving communion, um, especially related to President Biden and Speaker Pelosi. I'm wondering what's an issue that you think needs more coverage, um, an issue that's underreported when it comes to the Catholic Church in America? Uh, that's a great question. Um, obviously, there's been a lot of coverage of sort of these hot button culture war issues that have made their way into the Catholic Church, like most other uh, faith traditions. Uh, and they deserve to be reported because they are important. They affect people's lives. One area where I've been really interested in is the coming demographic uh, challenge facing not only the Catholic Church, but all faith traditions in the United States. Uh, the data show that young people are not into institutions, whether it be religion or civic organizations. And there's going to be a big challenge with that because the church Church has relied on uh, support from its members to carry out its ministries, whether it's things like healthcare, education, social services, Catholic charities, just keeping parishes up and running. And if young people just aren't that into it, that support is going to dry up and it's going to be very difficult for the institutional church to continue that ministry, which would leave a big gap in the social safety net in the United States. So that's something I think that most people who are in this space realize it's coming, but we haven't devoted enough time to really exploring what that means and how that might uh, affect broader society. Um, you are also Catholic and a member of the LGBTQ community. As you write in your latest book, quote, I am gay and I'm Catholic, and I struggle continuously to reconcile these two parts of my identity, and I have to find a way to make this work, unquote. Was there ever a moment when you thought about leaving the Catholic Church because of its stance on homosexuality? And if so, what made you stay? It's been a long journey. I write about this a little bit in the book, but uh, I remember particularly when I was studying at the Divinity School at Yale, uh, and it was my first real introduction, I think, to faith communities that were totally affirming and welcoming. So studying alongside people who were 
studying to be ordained in the Episcopal Church or who were from uh, Protestant traditions that had uh, become accepting and affirming of the LGBT community. It was a real awakening to me after uh, attending my uh, Catholic college, which was, I would say, a welcoming place, but not explicitly so, to see sort of people of faith living in, uh, I would say, a more... uh, integral way, kind of being able to integrate their faith life with their sexuality. Uh, that was a new experience for me, and it was something that was appealing to me, uh, if I'm being honest. I explored uh, at the time, this was back in uh, 2007, 2008, when I was a student, I explored uh, joining the Episcopal Church. At the same time, I was heavily involved in Catholic student life at Yale. I was uh, going to Mass at St. Thomas More. I was uh, part of the Catholic student group at the Div School. And uh, what I liked about the Div School was there were students who were Catholic and very traditional in their beliefs um, and uh, great people. They just had a uh, different kind of worldview about faith than I maybe did. Uh, and there were students who were um, living out their Catholic faith and kind of in protest of the Catholic Church's position on various issues. And everyone kind of got along and there was this good community there. So rather than make the jump, I, uh, I remember a conversation with another student who said, any faith tradition you belong to will have its own challenges. So don't give up on yours just because it's a little challenging right now. Um, And I kind of heeded her advice and stuck with it and uh, made a career so far kind of working in the church and exploring some of these issues. That's really interesting, especially for myself, because when I was at YDS, um, I was actually just getting started and, and exploring and becoming very dedicated and committed to my Catholic faith. And I found an amazing community, just as you are describing, very welcoming. And then uh, my last year at YDS, I had a fellowship at one of the pontifical universities in Rome. And I was totally tested when it came to my Catholic faith, particularly on certain issues. Um, I went to a a pretty conservative pontifical university where, um, you know, I got in trouble for not wearing certain clothes and uh, as a woman and... and, um, uh, also had a, a real uh, reckoning with the the stance of the church um, that priests cannot get married. So I also had, uh, when you're saying people who are living, Catholics who are living in protest <laughs> of the church, um, I definitely, I definitely relate to that. Um, but you, you mentioned your, your latest book, Hidden Mercy, which uncovers the response of the Catholic Church in America to the AIDS crisis in the 1980s and 1990s. In the book, you highlight the inspiring acts of priests, nuns, and lay people who ministered to young gay men that were marginalized in the church and larger society. What messages or lessons do you hope that readers of the book take away? Yeah, talk about uh, Catholics kind of living in protest of the church. Uh, One thing as I was writing Hidden Mercy and doing the research and interviewing people was I took away uh, how ignorant I was about this time in history. I was really surprised at how involved priests and sisters and lay people, the LGBT Catholic community, were in the national response to HIV and AIDS. And looking back, it all makes sense now. Um, the Catholic healthcare system is a huge entity here in the U.S. Um, even today, one in six patients in a hospital is in a Catholic hospital. Back then, it was even more. Uh, priests and nuns were really uh, on the front lines of the HIV and AIDS crisis, providing pastoral care to people who felt 
uh, cut off from their faith communities, who were suddenly in their 20s and 30s and 40s confronting these questions of life and death that I think a lot of people um, take for granted that they won't have to think about until they're a bit older. And then you add to that uh, not feeling welcome in their churches. And it's really this existential crisis in addition to physical suffering. So I was impressed by the young uh, priests and sisters who threw themselves into this community, who stumbled sometimes, who weren't always sure what the right steps were to take, but who listened and learned and in exchange were able to become really effective allies uh, in providing care for people with HIV and AIDS. So for me, it was uh, this idea that LGBT history is not really uh, widely taught or shared. And so it's up to members of the community to kind of seek it out. And I was fortunate that there were so many generous people who have a couple decades on me who were willing to share their stories with me. Now, His Holiness Pope Francis praised your book and thanked you for shining a light on the many priests, religious sisters, and lay people who opted to accompany, support, and help their brothers and sisters who are sick from HIV and AIDS at great risk to their profession and reputation. That was his uh, direct quote. What has been the public response to the book, particularly in the U.S.? Have you received any criticism? Yeah, that was a wonderful letter from Pope Francis. You couldn't ask for a better book blurb. I suppose maybe like getting an Oprah's Book Club book pick would be nice, but I'll settle I for would, the... Uh, I would like uh, Pope Francis's book club. I think this is uh, <laughs> a good thing. <laughs> yeah, no, I was really moved by that. And it was very cool as a journalist to kind of know that my work had reached uh, the level of Pope Francis and he was moved by some of the stories I introduced him to in my own letter. Uh, in terms of the public reception, it's been really nice. Uh, some really uh, generous reviews. Uh, I've been all over the country meeting readers, which has been uh, really gratifying to see that there is a hunger for these kinds of stories that the church's uh, relationship with the LGBT community is often presented as being quite fraught, and in many ways it is, but there's also this vibrant community of LGBT people who are part of the church. I'm wondering, how has writing and publishing the book, how has that affected you personally? For me, it's connected me with a past that I think in many ways is owed to future generations of LGBT people, but we have uh, risked losing entirely as people advance in years and then pass on. So if I hadn't collected many of the stories that were in the book, uh, I wouldn't have uh, realized that there was this strong community of LGBT Catholics and their allies fighting for more inclusion in the church, uh, that in the 60s and 70s and even into the 80s, there was actually a pretty um, vibrant community of LGBT people who had made real inroads into acceptance. There was even debates uh, in theological circles about maybe being gay is not uh, a sin. And there was this whole history of uh, figures, of priests and sisters and lay people who were uh, fighting for inclusion of the LGBT community. And for me, I think I write in Hidden Mercy that I often felt isolated and alone as a gay Catholic. Um, I joked that I once uh, told a priest friend I felt like I was the first person to go through this trying to struggle with this dual identity, and he sort of rolled his eyes and laughed at me uh, <laughs> because he knew much more of this history because he's a bit older than I am. Have you ever felt, I guess, as a as someone who's gay and someone who's Catholic that you you aren't supposed to ever talk about it? in the Catholic communities? Yeah, I think there's still a real taboo around this topic. Uh, there is a sense that to be part of the LGBT community means either not being involved in your faith life because there has been so much hostility, uh, that it means being invisible in parishes, uh, that you kind of don't make it an issue because you don't want to offend people. Uh, lots of Catholics are very polite and don't want to kind of cause waves. Uh, I also think that 
uh, there's certain parishes that draw in the LGBT community because they're more visibly welcoming, which as a result means that there's a lot of parishes that don't have members of the community. Um, I live here in Chicago and there's several, uh, we're fortunate to have several big parishes that are uh, very welcoming, very affirming. Uh, and there is a visible uh, LGBT community there. But I know that many people don't live in places where they have access to that kind of ministry. I'm kind of big on um, not being shy on recognizing that you do have um, certain rights and responsibilities as a baptized Christian in your church, and that doesn't go away even if you're a member of the LGBT community. Now, this year marks a decade since the Vatican first set up a Twitter account for the Pope, for then Pope Benedict. You wrote a book in 2015. It's titled The Tweetable Pope, A Spiritual Revolution in 140 Characters. I think now Twitter has gone up, right? It's, it's 180. True, it's a little dated now. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's okay. You don't have to change your title or anything. I'm just <laughs> thinking about that now. Um, and the book examines the use um, of social media by Pope Francis and how he uses it to communicate uh, with Catholics around the world. I'm wondering what surprises you about the way that Pope Francis uses social media to get his messages across. Has anything about um, the way or the strategies that he uses on social media, does that uh, surprise you at all? What it shows me is that uh, Pope Francis is willing to go where people are. So uh, obviously I write in the book, I'm not under any illusions that the Pope is sitting with an iPad typing out his tweets. Uh, that never was the case. I think there was a ceremonial sort of first tweet published by Pope Benedict who actually launched the account. Uh, but what it shows me is that there are people advising the Pope who understand that he has to be uh, out in the public square. And today that means on social media. So I remember um, a couple of years ago, he did a TED Talk. Uh, Pope Francis recorded a TED Talk about welcoming migrants. And that kind of uh, was interesting. It was the first Pope ever to do a TED Talk. They're really making strides and trying to get the Pope's message out there. You graduated from YDS in 2009. I'm wondering, how did your time at YDS change or shape you? My time at YDS uh, shaped me for the better because it introduced me to a whole new range of uh people and how they approach faith and how they incorporate faith, how they live out their faith. Uh, we spoke a little earlier about in the Catholic context, uh, meeting all different kinds of Catholics, but uh, being in an interfaith environment, um, learning uh, Bible from people who had very different worldviews than I had, um, learning uh, sort of the history of theology from people who were incredibly uh, well-versed in kind of dense theological concepts I had never heard of. That was a... Uh, hugely formative experience. Even more so, I would say, was just the friendships I developed at that time, um, being able to talk through some of these big questions um, about what is the purpose of life? What are we called to do? How do we live out our faith? Being part of the wider Yale community and the amazing resources of New Haven and uh, the libraries and the different schools, being able to take undergrad seminars, it was a really kind of eye-opening experience into uh, a world that uh, became much bigger for me after after I graduated. So one memory I should probably share is uh, it was through uh, church involvement at Yale that I met my husband. So that was a, a nice perk. Uh, we met on a service trip to uh, Peru. Uh, and then, so we've been together since uh, 2010 or so. Uh, so that that's a good memory for sure. Uh, more YDS related. I met my husband at Yale too, by the way. Oh, so fine. I okay, think good, there's something yeah. <laughs> going on here. <laughs> Very nice. Um, I don't know if it's if it's still a thing. Uh, there were these community dinners at YDS, that, like once a month, I think. Um, 
And it was like a free meal, which was great as a grad student. Um, and I, I feel like there was like wine and beer too, maybe, which was nice. Uh, but it was just a really great opportunity to spend time with your classmates and friends, um, kind of de-stress a little bit. The amount of reading in grad school is like out of control. So there's not always <laughs> time for socializing. But those, I remember those dinners. Uh, sometimes it was uh, a little difficult to get your friends to go because people were so busy. But once you were there, you really enjoyed your time there. Thank you so much for joining us today. I think it was a great conversation and, um, and I'm excited to hear about uh, your Yale experience as well. Great. Thanks, Emily.